This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor doubles down on his bill targeting Black Lives Matter protesters. Ron DeSantis says he'd like the legislature to approve it during a special session right after the November election. I mentioned to both uh, President Simpson and the incoming speaker that, look, we're gonna, you guys are going to be here for the organizational session. Um, it's going to have broad support, I think, certainly from the Republican caucuses um, in both chambers. Uh, you know, it may be something you need to act. He may have Republican support, but Democrats in the legislature say the protests here have been peaceful, and the governor's trying to create a crisis to distract you from everything else going wrong on his watch. Mr. Governor, you have 99 problems, but protesters ain't one. And the protesters targeted by the governor accuse him of trying to score political points with a proposal that he, as a lawyer, knows is unconstitutional. The proposed so-called Combating Violence, Disorder, and Looting Law Enforcement Act is an affront to our basic constitutional rights. It is no more than an intimidation tactic to scare people into not exercising their rights to free speech in public assembly. The protesters say they wish the governor cared as much about COVID victims as he does about their demonstrations. The governor and cabinet hold their first in-person meeting since the start of the pandemic. It was not on their agenda, but it did come up. When he heard some countries are imposing new restrictions because of a feared second wave of COVID-19, the governor said that will not happen here. Obviously, it's a tough pathogen. you got to deal with it. But um, closing, um, I think, is like self-immolation. There have now been more than 200,000 COVID-19 fatalities nationwide, and you will never guess which state broke that barrier. Yeah, it was us. Also today, we'll have your calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man who was nearly done in by a gator because of a croc. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, September 23rd. It's National Dogs in Politics Day and Redhead Appreciation Day. America's death toll from COVID-19 went over 200,000 Tuesday, and we have the dubious distinction of being the state that broke that barrier. The tally tracked by the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center was sitting at 199,962 Tuesday morning before Florida reported 99 new fatalities. That bumped it up to 200,061. 13,579 of those fatalities were here in Florida. The state also confirmed another 2,470 cases of COVID-19. That brings the state's known total to almost 688,000. There's also been an increase in the rate of people who testing positive for the virus. It hasn't been this high in about two weeks. The Miami-Dade County School Board votes unanimously to push back the gradual start of public schools reopening until October 14th. That's more than a week later than first proposed. Students in pre-K, kindergarten, and first grade, along with students with special needs, will start on the 14th. Students in grades 6, 9, and 10 are expected to return the following day. And schools will be fully open for all the rest of the students who wish to return on October 21st. However, half the kids in the county have already opted not to go back. They'll continue with distance learning. The governor and cabinet meet in person for the first time since the pandemic began, and COVID was not on the agenda. It did come up, however. Infection rates are rising across Europe. Experts there are concerned it may be the start of a second wave, and there is talk of more lockdowns overseas. But Governor Ron DeSantis says Florida won't be doing anything like that. This idea that somehow you can't do things, it's, I think the, the, the Sun Belt and how they did it, People were saying, right as Disney was open, you got to shut down. We didn't do it. We have, we're down 80% in hospitalizations. Obviously, it's a tough pathogen. You got to deal with it. But um, closing, um, I think, is like self-immolation. I don't see how, you know, you look at areas that had harsh lockdowns, 
They have much higher per capita mortality and much higher unemployment, which is also going to lead to a variety of, of issues. And so, um, you know, I think the experience here with, 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 with Disney, some of these other things, I mean, the panhandle, they had, they had a huge summer um, uh, there. They're, and, and, they're, and the prevalence has gone down uh, since the summer. Uh, schools, universities, everyone says, uh, you know, that that was going to lead. And, um, you know, we knew, I think, looking at the data, that, that the K-12 schools weren't going to spark community spread. But that, that obviously hasn't happened. You have some cases at these universities, but, you know, I don't think, I think of 50-some thousand cases around the country, I think there have been a handful of people that have even been admitted to the, to the hospital. So um, you got to have society function. you got to have people working. you got to have people be productive. If you don't do that, doing everything else, I think, makes it much more difficult. And I think it's important to, to, to say that because, you know, you mentioned about how business is going to change. And I think you're right. People are going to look and say, gee, do I need this uh, expensive downtown office space when, I mean, there's some businesses that went 90% remote, didn't miss a beat. Um, so why would you do that? That's going to have impact on commercial real estate. It's going to have an impact on other things. But that's also a subset of workers that's not representative of the whole economy. Not everyone can work from home. I mean, we have folks who are, who are waiters, who work at hotels, who work in different aspects of our economy. You can't do that on Zoom. You got to be there. And these are folks who most of them are blue collar. Most of them need to work to put food on the table. They don't have the luxury uh, of just staying at home um, and doing that. And so yeah, I, I think this has exacerbated uh, you know, some of the uh, underlying issues that we've seen in, in the economy. Uh, but uh, when you go more towards remote, um, we just have to understand that does not work for everybody. Uh, we need people that are going to be able to do it. We need to support those those businesses and those workers who are actually out there um, um, doing things. And I think I think we've done it. I mean, our unemployment is down. For, I mean, people thought we'd be at 15% right now. You know, we're at 7.4. Obviously, we've got a lot more work to do. Some of the tourism is going to come back, I think, naturally as people get a little bit more comfortable uh, with things. But but those are folks who, who often get overlooked in all this. And Amazon, you know, and all these companies – I don't begrudge anyone for doing, but that's not the type of, I think, economy that is going to be um, providing a lot of opportunities for people. I mean, I think we need economies where, you know, you have these these local communities and and people are able to have good jobs. People can have small businesses. Um, and this has been this has been harmful. So as we as we come back, you know, as much as I want Disney, as much as I want all this other stuff, because they're good drivers, um, some of these places that have been harmed, uh, it's it's a really, really. And I think there was really not a lot of regard from that from the public health community about the type of, of, of harm that was being done there. Um, so this is all going to be, need to be reevaluated as we go forward. Hopefully we don't face something like this you know, in the near future. But, um, but, but, I, but I think the damage has been apparent. And I think the economy, while the market and some of this other stuff has done well, and I'd rather have a high market than a low market. I mean, don't get me wrong on that. Uh, I still think that um, a, lot of this, a lot of this stuff is still being overlooked. When the cabinet meeting was done, the first thing on the governor's mind was not COVID. He started talking about his proposal to pass a new law cracking down on protesters. The regular session of the legislature doesn't begin until March. So DeSantis wants a special session in November when lawmakers are back in the Capitol for a one-day organizational session to swear in lawmakers elected on November 3rd. I mentioned to both uh, President Simpson and the incoming speaker that, look, we're gonna, you guys are going to be here for the organizational session. Um, it's going to have broad support, I think, certainly from the Republican caucuses um, in both chambers. Uh, you know, it may be something you need to act. The other thing I've mentioned that we may need to act early on 
is uh, liability protection regards to coronavirus. We thought that was going to be done by the federal government. So if we can come in and do, do that, I think that could be a shot in the arm to the economy. And if we're already here doing that, then you might as well go ahead and, and, and do some of these other things, because I think it would send, um, uh, send a strong message. I think Florida has handled it better. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you, know, you constantly hear these reports of unrest, you hear threats of more unrest, and that's not something that, um, you know, that we want to deal with without having uh, all the tools at our disposal. Throughout the crisis, the governor has refused to call a special session to deal with COVID, the $5 billion hole in the state budget created by the virus, and the wretched unemployment compensation system that even the governor admits has been an abject failure. Yet he wants a special session to crack down on violent protests that have not occurred in Florida. State Senator Oscar Brainin says, why wait? If DeSantis really wants a special session, do it now. People were protesting because of racial inequality. People were protesting because they are upset about the way policing happens in the state of Florida. People were protesting because this has been an issue for a long time. And this whole defund the police issue, you'll find out that as cities are doing their budgets, they don't have as much money because you've done such a piss poor job with COVID and their budgets are hurting right now. These are all the things you'll find out in a special session. So call a special session and let's talk about your proposal. But I will tell you that what you will hear are a whole bunch of other things. These protests are the leaves. The roots of the tree are systemic racism, police brutality. And the reason why you are seeing cities have to cut their budgets is because you have allowed people to die and our economy to go into the gutter because of your response to COVID-19. I challenge you to call a special session now and I'll come back and I'll give you exactly what I think about your proposal. Brainin is not the only lawmaker trash-talking the governor and his law and order bill. Representative Chevron Jones of Miami Gardens says the governor is siding with abusive cops and white supremacists who inspired the protests. We will not stand for this. We cannot stand for this. It's not Florida and it's not America to silence the voice of people. The peaceful demonstrations who have been out protesting in the recent months, 93% of them have been peaceful. They have the same right to demonstrate as the armed militia and the white supremacist aligned groups that we saw storming state capitals this past spring. This is an active, intentional effort to depress voting, turnout, and participation in the democratic process. Representative Fentrice Driscoll of Tampa says the governor is focusing on a problem that really doesn't exist in Florida while he ignores the real ones. We must prioritize human lives over property and recognize that partisan politics should not be an issue when our fellow citizens are being brutalized by a few bad actors hiding behind their badges. Of the 7,750 protests identified between May 26th and August 22nd, 90% of them were peaceful. 90%. Leave it to Florida's Republicans to give 100% to a 10% problem while they give 0% effort to the real problems affecting Floridians, like a broken unemployment system, lack of affordable health care, and the ever-present impacts of systemic injustice. In other words, Mr. Governor, you have 99 problems, but protesters ain't one. To members of the Legislative Black Caucus, this is personal. Michelle Rayner Goolsby of Tampa will be joining the legislature in November, but she's been dealing with these issues for years. 
I've spent the better part of my career as a civil rights and criminal defense attorney, specifically working on issues to end systemic racism, state sanctioned violence, and police brutality. And today I'm saddened that one of my first addresses as an elected official is about the governor's abuse of power in this situation. I'm troubled that our governor would find it more useful to engage in partisan politics, fear mongering and tout legislation and legislation. So we are very clear that is an attack, a direct attack on those who have been organizing and protesting for the end to state violence this summer. In the wake of the murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Aubrey, George Floyd, Governor DeSantis had, has had an opportunity to lead and bring stakeholders, community leaders, law enforcement, and other electeds to the table and to offer forward-thinking legislation to address the underlying reasons that folks are exercising their First Amendment right to protest. It is troubling that Governor DeSantis believes leadership looks like proposing fear-based legislation instead of addressing the urgent needs of Floridians whose lives have been decimated by COVID-19. To him, leadership is proposing legislation that is nothing but a thinly veiled attempt to chill people from utilizing their First Amendment right and criminalizing them when they dare to do so, but not providing the support to more than 600,000 Floridians who've contracted the coronavirus. The governor is very quick to tell people he's a lawyer. And uh, Speaker Designate Chris Sprouse is a prosecutor. He's a prosecutor in the circuit where I practice as a defense attorney. And so they know that this is unconstitutional and they know this violates, um, violates home rule. But yet and still, they believe that this is the best way to address uh, the issues of police brutality. And this is the best way to address the, or lack of address the, the issues of COVID-19 and how it's affecting Floridians. One part of the governor's plan that has local officials up in arms is that DeSantis wants to withhold state funding from any city that reduces funding for the police. Even he admits that's not a problem here. A lot of Florida municipalities have behaved great. I mean, they, they did a great job when we had uh, some of the threats in June. Uh, at the same time, you see this it's spreading around the country. So we're sending the message that local municipalities are going to do something completely insane, like defund law enforcement. Uh, then there's going to be financial ramifications from the state. And I think that'll be a sufficient deterrent. So now that you've heard from the politicians, let's hear what the protesters have to say. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. We've heard a lot from the governor in the past two days about his plan to crack down on Black Lives Matter protesters in Florida, but what do the demonstrators think about it? Not very much. Lakey Love is a community organizer in Tallahassee. Governor Ron DeSantis proposed legislation which would create a police state um, and act as a diversion to his own failure to address issues of systemic racism, the housing crisis, the healthcare crisis, the education crisis, um, and the escalating unemployment um, in the state and the decrepit and terrible um, unemployment system that we have during this COVID pandemic. McCarty Jackson with the Southern Poverty Law Center says the governor's proposal is a violation of the Constitution and harkens back to the old days of black codes and Jim Crow laws. 
On its face, the proposed so-called Combating Violence, Disorder, and Looting Law Enforcement Act is an affront to our basic constitutional rights. It is no more than an intimidation tactic to scare people into not exercising their rights to free speech in public assembly. The language appears to be intentionally broad and vague to add confusion about what conduct would be deemed illegal, further adding to fear, chilling free speech and assemblies, and also leaving broad discretion in a system that reeks with racial bias and uneven enforcement. Yet Governor DeSantis would leave the weighty consequences of felony and RICO charges to the whims of the enforcers who are at the heart of lawful protest across our nation. Governor DeSantis ignores that we already have plenty of laws on the books that would address any and all of the alleged crimes his proposal purports to address. Instead, he seeks to supersede federal laws such as RICO statutes, local authority and municipal budget decisions and implement a pre presumption against bond for anyone arrested. These tactics are about as unconstitutional as it gets. Ashley Green is a Black Lives Matter organizer in Tampa, and she says this proposal is nothing more than an election stunt. We have a governor whose approval rating has cratered because of his miserable handling of the coronavirus pandemic. This proposed policy is a distraction from Ron DeSantis's failures as a governor. Rather than confronting a crumbling unemployment infrastructure, lack of access to health care, the mounting housing crisis, and the loss of life due to the pandemic, the governor is wasting taxpayers' time and dime by putting out a political stunt like this the week that vote-by-mail ballots dropped. It cannot escape our notice that the moment that Floridians are beginning to vote, this is the moment that the governor chose to propose this legislation. A summer of reckoning, but now that we're in the fall, he's attacking imaginary problems. If only he had been that preemptive in addressing the coronavirus pandemic, maybe 13,000 lives wouldn't be lost right now. If only we had a governor who was willing to take action back in February and March and into April when people were telling him about the urgency of the pandemic, that this was real. If he was willing to take action then, maybe we would have people alive today. Green is especially annoyed at one part of the governor's plan that says drivers who hit protesters in the road would be immune from criminal charges. She's been hit twice this year. It's time now for your daily political calendar. The State Board of Executive Clemency meets at 8 in the Capitol. It's their first meeting since January 21st. The Board of Education meets at 9 at the Florida Holocaust Memorial in St. Petersburg. The Citizens Property Insurance Board of Governors meets at 9. The Valencia College Board of Trustees meets by teleconference at 9.30. The Children's Campaign holds a webinar at 11 to talk about issues related to school discipline practices for children with disabilities. Republican Byron Donalds and Democrat Cindy Bonnier, who are running for an open seat in Congressional District 19, speak during an online meeting of the Tiger Bay Club of Southwest Florida at noon. The South Florida State College Board of Trustees meets at 1 in Avon Park. The College of Central Florida Trustees meet remotely at 3. The Hillsborough Community College Trustees meet online at 4. And the Board of Trustees at Lake Sumter State College Meet at 5 in Leesburg. Finally today, a Florida man is lucky to be alive after a gator grabbed him by the leg and tried to make a meal out of him. 61-year-old Mark Johnson of Port St. Lucie escaped by digging both of his index fingers into the alligator's eye sockets. 
took 60 stitches to close the wounds on his leg, five more to fix the damage to one of his fingers that was cut by the socket. Johnson has lived around gators all his life. He shooed his dog away from the canal when he saw the gator headed their way, but when he tried to get away, one of his shoes stuck in the mud bank. He was wearing Crocs. Make of that what you will. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.